Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 19 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, we're going to look at the area of positive psychology and coaching with Julie McCall. Welcome to the podcast, Julie. Thank you, Stephen, and thanks for having me today. No, I'm delighted. Before we get into, I suppose, the whole area of positive psychology and coaching, Mm -hmm. can we go back? Like that accent that you have, can you tell me where it comes from? So it's not a cock accent I'm getting. (laughs) Can you guess? (laughs) Yeah, so my, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm English. Yes. um, But actually, I grew up in a place called Crosby, which is between Liverpool and Southport. Yeah, so So, I'm a a Scouser. But you've lost this Scouse accent. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> well, I, was, I left home when I was 18. Okay. Uh, went to college when I was 18. And I've, other than obviously going back to see my parents, I've never lived back in Liverpool again. Okay. So I suppose you develop probably a, a mixture of accents over that time. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd describe it as a hybrid accent. So I went from Liverpool to Sheffield to London oh God, to yeah. Myrtleville in Cork. So <laughs> that's I suppose... <laughs> a, vast, a lot of different places. Yeah. And I suppose growing up in Liverpool, what was it like? Were you into business and stuff like that were you in, when when you were in school? Or no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, I suppose my childhood. I went to a comprehensive school in in Cosby. Okay, quite a tough school. Um, I suppose there was a real mix of kids that went there. There was the middle class kids, and yeah. there was the kids from the housing estates. And yeah. it was a tough school, I suppose. If I, that's how I would describe it, but I suppose you learn to keep your head down. Um, and I was lucky mm. enough to be with a group of kids that were interested in education. Okay. I mean, my mum and dad, they weren't necessarily into education. So I suppose yeah, for yeah. me, I realised if I wanted to progress in life, yeah, I needed to get my A-levels and find a way to get to Poly. I didn't go to university. I went to Sheffield Poly, which is now called Hallamshire University. And what is Poly? Because I, I often hear this term Poly and, and I, I don't really... Un- is it like a PLC course or... Like, is it a stepping stone to a university? Or? Uh, no, well, I suppose Sheffield Polytechnic is now Hallamshire University. I suppose okay. it would be similar to CIT, which is now MTU. Yeah, okay. So you still came out with a degree. Okay. But I guess it was just easier to get into yes. it to get your degree than yeah. it would have been if you were going to a, yeah. a university in England. Yeah. So were you the first person in your family to kind of go into third level? Yeah, I was actually. And I remember saying to my mum and dad, I'd like to go to, you know, I'd like to, to go to college. And then why would you want to do that? You know, yeah. Why don't you just go and get yourself a job in a shop? And yeah. there was no real expectation. But for me, I really just wanted to leave Liverpool. I just wanted to spread my wings. I just yeah. wanted to do something different, I suppose. What did you study? I did um, a BA, a BA honours in public administration. So yeah. it wasn't, if I'm honest, was I passionate about the subject? Yeah. I wasn't, but I went and got myself a degree. But it was a way of leaving Liverpool. Not yeah. that I, you know, I love yeah. Liverpool and I still go back. After graduating from Sheffield then, did you go to London then? Was it? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to, I moved down to London and got myself a, um, got a, a graduate position actually, not through the normal channels. Yeah. So probably the degree stood to you then. So even though you weren't really gone on the degree in, in public administration, I'd imagine that uh, the kind of, some of the core subjects helped you. Kind well, of go up the ladder, did they? Yeah, I mean, obviously going going to third level education, it always opens doors, doesn't it? Yeah, and it at that time, would I have got that without it? Mm. Absolutely not. So after you left them, how did you end up in Cork? My journey to Cork, let me think. So I was living in London. I played tennis uh, at a tennis club in, in Sydenham, South East London. Yeah. Um, the girl that I played with, um, Siobhan Murray, um, her mum had a house in Myrtleville, which okay. is at the steps. You, as you know, I'm, I'm married to Paul O'Brien from... Bunny Canal and Bunny Coastal Canel. Restaurant. Yeah. Um, so we used to come over here. I'd say, was it the, the early 90s? We'd come over for the crack, the, yeah. you know, the bars, yeah. um, the jazz weekend. And uh, we'd go to Bunny's for drinks. Yeah. Late nights as it was then. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I met, I met Paul. And behind. you fell in love with the barrel <laughs> or not? And so did you move in at that point no. or, or kind of over and back for yeah, a while? Is yeah, it? I suppose what happened was um, Paul was never going to move to London. After a year, I suppose you have to make a decision who's going to move. Yeah. Is Paul going to come to London? He wasn't. I don't, and I don't blame him. Yeah. So I sort of took the opportunity to, well, I, I didn't come over here until I had a job. Okay. So I found myself a job working for the merchants group on the Model Farm Road as a yeah. as a project manager. So that's and, interesting because um, yeah. our, our paths probably crossed, but you know... 
because I worked for them as a part-time job back yeah, around 2001. So it was kind of, you know, they were selling accidental death insurance. I oh, did you, I didn't know that. You you worked for the, for the Merchants yeah, Group as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. They were one of the first call centres. They were. Cork, yeah. yeah, well, the Merchants Group set up, they were responsible for, because Apple had just arrived. That's right. So they were responsible for all the recruitment of for Apple. Yeah. yeah. And what would you have done there then? Like, were you heading up a team or something? Yeah, like? I was a I was a project manager. So we were basically so the sales team would um, win the business, and then I'd actually take that business and then implement it. So. And where did you go after that? Then? So I then moved over to. I went to work for Interaction. They're another uh, call centre. Actually, I followed my boss. I was working for a guy called John Drury, who you may you may know yeah. from Cork. Um, I worked for Interaction, and then actually went to work for Linda and Dan at Foxpro. In the so, early days of Vox Pro, In the early it? days of Vox Pro when they were very small and, uh, yeah, loved working with Dan, Lin, Linda and Dan Kiley, two of the nicest, kindest people you will ever meet. And I loved it, but it was never, it was never my passion. It was okay. never, I mean, I love, you know, the, the people there were fantastic, but, uh, somebody basically suggested, they'd just done a coaching qualification and they said, they said to me, would you love, you know, I'm sure you'd love to do this. So I went away and did that coaching qualification and I fell in love with that. So yeah. And, uh. Loved coaching, but realized at the time that there was very little science, very little mm. research behind coaching. Um, so decided, uh, uh, Brenda Roach, who I work with still, said, why don't we go to um, London and do a, a master's in positive psychology at the University of East London? So back in 2009, I went over there part time for yeah. over two years. Over and back. Over and back, which is fantastic. But really, everything I do now is based on positive psychology. And if if you haven't heard of positive psychology, it's a, it's a scientific study of what makes people flourish. Okay. So mainstream psychology tends to focus on you know, why people get anxious or depressed or low, whereas positive yeah. psychology is studying why, why are some people happy and, and helping people to understand that. And that ties in nicely, I presume, with, I suppose, the business world, because for businesses to thrive, they probably need very energetic, positive leaders. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think, in my experience, those leaders that look for the good yeah. and help people to play to their strengths and acknowledge that actually we've all got weaknesses, but actually if I can help you as, you know, as a, an employer, as a staff member to play to your strengths, yeah. you're going to be more engaged, you're going to be more positive, uh, you're going to be more productive. But um, unfortunately, sometimes in organizations, and I, I've experienced this myself, that you know, when you come to appraisals, you know, people sit you down and say, what have you done this year? And then what aren't you very good at? And let me help you get better at that weakness. But actually, that is not what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on what we're already good at yeah. and getting even better at that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if we actually focus on getting better at our weaknesses, we only ever become average. And who wants average? Yeah. Surely it's much better to actually be able to excel. Isn't it similar to, I suppose, a child at school, the teachers that praise the kids kids usually have great time for them and they flourish in that subject yes like i think back at the subjects i did myself you know the ones that i did really well in yeah there was always a teacher that was was encouraging yes. and giving you great you yeah. know feedback and yeah and that's what we should be doing for our children is helping them to follow their passion yeah and um, instead of forcing them down yeah. the road that they might not want how many how many kids actually go down well like, i suppose often children are are encouraged to go down the road of following the money. Yes. And often, you know, children are, you know, encouraged to follow their parents. And, yeah. and maybe that's not what they want to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think there's quite a high dropout rate in, in, in first year universities yeah. because they haven't actually followed what they're passionate about. Um, and I, I do a bit of part-time lecturing at UCC on the Masters in Coaching and Positive Psychology. And one of my students, who was actually a career development advisor, she said to me, and I just loved what she said. She said, I say to my students, find what you love to do and then find somebody to pay you to do it. And then and, you're winning. And then you're winning because yeah. if you're following your passion mm. and you're then you're committed, aren't you? And then you'll never give up. Because, yeah, and you're excited okay, when you yeah, do it. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it won't be easy and it won't be a straightforward path. Mm. But if you're passionate about something, you'll find ways of getting over that obstacle or under the obstacle or around the obstacle. But you won't give up because actually it, it's in your heart, isn't it? The idea of coaching, so, because there's a lot of myths around coaching, you know, some people kind of dismiss it. Um, some people think it's a very American way of, mm -hmm. of, of approaching the business world. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's someone that probably listens to you. 
is it someone that kind of brings out the best in yourself? It, it's like a, a sports coach, but it's just from, mm. from a business point mm. of view. Yeah, and, and often people get confused with coaching and think, actually, you're going to tell me what to do and you'll, yeah. tell, you'll advise me. But that's coaching isn't that. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, to be a good coach, you have to be a good listener. But it is helping the person to find their own solutions. Yeah. So, you know, Stephen, you're an expert in your own world. And yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying you've actually experienced my coaching. I, yeah, never, that's right, yeah. I never told you what to do. Yeah. But I was there to help you to explore your ideas, yeah. to be able to articulate your thoughts. And simply by actually saying what's in your head and saying yeah. it out loud enables yeah. the person to get clarity in their thinking um, and be able to find their own solutions. And that was a fascinating experience because if I go back, that was in early 2018, I think it was. And yeah. that was when I was thinking about setting up 24 stories and, yes. and narration and 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 moving away from, I suppose, a, a full-time job um, in, in, I suppose, in the media business at the time, and yeah. a full-time marketing job. And you didn't know that. You wanted to try out a new project, yes. which was this idea of going for a walk. Yes and doing a coaching session mm -hmm. and I had never done anything with coaching before and I said yes. yeah okay I'll try it and yeah. and while we were doing it I told you this was going around in my head yes. this was something that I was thinking of doing and yeah. I had been thinking about it for a while and it was fascinating it was like having you know just somebody to to bounce an idea off yes and to get some reassurance mm. You know, the stuff is already inside you. You're actually talking to yourself in many ways without sounding yes. kind of silly, but talking to somebody. And then this idea of keeping it simple. I remember you'd give three takeaways. You'd say, what's the three things you're going to take away today and you're going to, you're going to kind of implement by the yeah. next time we talk? Yeah. Where does that come from? Well, I suppose it's always about keeping things small. Yeah. You know, when, you, when people are trying to move forward, mm. they often think they have to make big change and that has to be a big step yeah but i always say to somebody you know if i'm working what's the smallest thing that you can do that will make the biggest difference yeah. because like anything if you if i say to you today if i say i'm going to run a marathon today mm. that's, it's, un it's unlikely that i'll be able to go out and run yeah. a marathon today if i'm starting from yeah. a standing position but if i say actually i want to start running so actually i'm just going to run 100 meters that's yeah. achievable yeah so it's about taking small steps as long as it's taking you into the yeah, right direction. Yeah. But if you if you set yourself a small goal and achieve it, then that sends a message to your brain to say, I was successful yes. and I achieved that yeah. and I can go on and set myself another small goal. Yeah. So it's actually, I don't know if you've come across Kaizen. No. You heard of Kaizen, it's a Japanese um, word actually, which means continuous improvement. Mm. And um, the Japanese used it, I think, after the, after the Second World War in Toyota, which is all about small steps to help things get better. And that's what I would always do with, with anybody that I'm working with to say, you know, what are you committing to? But what is this, essentially, what's the smallest thing yeah. that you can do yeah. in relation to that goal that you've set yourself? And what's the science involved in, I suppose, the idea of walking? So that I, I found that quite good. Like you were walking for a couple of miles or whatever, and then, you know, there was a bit of exercise involved. And, and at the end of it, you, you were also kind of walking away with this idea of, yeah, I have three simple things. I'll follow them up now. And then yeah. by the time the next <clears> time we meet again, we'll have them done. Walking coaching came about really just because, um, as you know, I've, I've run a few marathons. Yeah. But I, I'd, I'd go out for training sessions with friends. Yeah. And I realized that those training sessions for the marathon were actually coaching sessions because, you know, we'd run, I'd listen, I'd yeah. ask a few questions, I'd listen a bit more. Yeah. The person would find their own solution. You know, they'd yeah. find an answer to a problem. Or, yeah. And I'd, I, I started to think to myself, How, is there anything in this? Yeah. You know, is there anything in this? And then I started to say to myself, you know, can I bring the two things that I love to do, which is coaching and running? Can yeah. I bring those things together. together? And I also asked myself the question, is there any science behind movement and increased in, you know, attention and focus and creativity mm. and boosting your mu mm. mood. You know, that was anecdotally, I could, I'd seen that myself. Yeah. But when I looked at uh, the literature, there was, there's a huge amount of research around movement and enhancing your mood, enhancing your creativity and helping, helping you to focus. And I then actually created the concept coaching on the move and, and approached people like yourself and said, is there, a, you know, is there an opportunity here? Can I trial it? Trial it. Can we have a pilot? Yeah. 
And to be truthful, that is absolutely my preferred way of coaching with somebody now. If someone is listening and they want to do it themselves, do you meet them for one session? We just say, we're going to take it from there and see what you need. How does that work? So what would happen, generally speaking, is I'd organise to have a chat with the person um, over Zoom or a telephone call. Because at the end of the day, whoever you're working with, there has to be a connection. The relationship is really important. So I'd explain what I do. Um, I give them the option to have a coaching on the move session. Yeah. If they don't want to do that, there's no problem. If, if they, obviously the person wanted to meet me in a, yeah. I use, um, an office in Mahan. Yeah. Um, and we'd agree to meet. Yeah. I, what I tend to do is to find, I use two, um, walkways. I use the Crosshaven to Caroline walkway and the Black Rock walkway. Yeah. Because it's safe away from traffic. There's no yeah. obstacles. Yeah. And I obviously always make sure the person has to fill in a very brief questionnaire to make sure that they're fit and healthy yes i'm not a personal trainer i'm not a nutritionist yeah. they're not going to run the legs off and, run down the <laughs> and i always you know when i'm when i meet the person i'm always very mindful of yeah. the fact that i'm led by them in yeah. terms of how fast we walk yeah. because i'm quite active and fit myself i yeah. tend to walk fast so yeah. and when you're going on the walks with the people then and you know you're doing the sessions are you finding that there's common problems that need to be solved you know so are people kind of coming up to you with similar issues inside an organisation. I'm just thinking of the listener mm-hmm. uh, and they might be going through certain scenarios at, at work or wherever that they need to overcome and they're struggling with it. Are you, are you seeing similar things happening? Not really. I think everybody's different, actually. I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what they bring to the session is always unique to them. I mean, you, there are patterns. Yeah. It could be around wanting to improve the relationship with a manager. It could be around wanting... A promotion. It yeah. could be about, you know, not having the confidence to to apply for a job. Yeah. They could be stuck. Actually, am I in the right job? Yeah. Should I have a complete change of career? Mm. So these are the things that are kind of popping up a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Work life balance is often um, the big one. A, a pattern. And what the person initially says isn't always the thing we then talk about. Yeah. Because obviously, um, other things come up for them as well. And it obviously worked. I mean, you got a couple of people to trial it, but in many ways, it's it's like sampling a product yes. and getting people y- used to it. But you're hoping that there's a bit of word of mouth yes. spreads to other people. Yeah. I, I presume that was the idea in it as well. Yeah. That that if you could get case studies of people saying, yeah, I really like mm-hmm. this. This is a great way mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. That it would, would move on. Yeah. Did it happen that way? Did you get business on the back of other people? Yeah, well, that's I, to be truthful, I think um, my, in my type of business, it's always about word of mouth yeah. because it's about I mean for you Stephen if you hadn't experienced coaching on the move yeah. it's a it's a difficult thing to to actually I well not that it I was, do want to sell it to you yeah. it's yeah. really hard to describe but when somebody experiences it mm. then they they get it so to speak um so yes it was word of mouth and what was really reassuring was that the people I was working with the feedback I was getting from them was fantastic. And the one guy I was working with who was a finance director, he said, I, I seem to find my solutions faster and quicker when I'm walking. Yeah. For me, it was fantastic because I could bring those two things together. But at the time, nobody was actually walking and coaching. Um, since then, we've, you know, we've, got, we've gone and done some research and we presented that research at some conferences. And there's more people actually... So it's not just you, there's other people doing it now as well. Yeah. 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 Um, But it's also in the business world. If you look back, you know, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. um, You know, they've always had walking meetings. Apparently the the CEO of Google said, if I want to think, I start to walk. Yeah. And uh, Melinda Gates, I don't know if you've seen Inside um, Bill Gates' Mind. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. He goes away for days. Yeah. yeah. She said, Bill does his best thinking whilst he's walking. Yeah. So it isn't necessarily a new concept, but... Yeah, I know another business person, I won't name names, but he taught me recently, he goes for walks for, he could go for three, four, five hour walks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's when he gets his best ideas, you know. Yeah. And I suppose what I was obviously always doing was walking side by side with the person, but then the, you know, COVID hit and the business dried up for a lot of people. Social distancing and your two kilometres. Yeah, yeah. so I couldn't do that anymore. But so I thought to myself, you know, what can I do here? So I actually reached out to a few people I knew who I had coached and said, can I support you through, you know, COVID? And they kindly said yes. 
Um, so I would actually walk in my space within yeah. my two K, and they'd walk in theirs. Yeah, and we had coaching sessions. And again, we did another piece of research with UCC on that, on that, uh, just to show how beneficial that was during yeah. COVID. Yeah, and again, you know, lots of positive feedback in terms of yes, the exercise, the movement, yeah, helped in terms of the creativity. Um, which also means that you could open up to an international audience. Yeah, of course. They don't necessarily have yeah. to be walking down Myrtleville. No, no, you know. no, no. I'm yeah. I've got I've got clients in the UK, so yeah. Um, they <laughs> they don't have to be in Ireland, which is great. So, like, how do you promote yourself? So, because you know, it is a hard one because I suppose coaching people don't want to admit. I'd imagine that they're getting coached, or do they? Um, or do you get a fifty fifty? I don't think there's a stigma. I mean, if you think about um, the business world, Mm. most senior executives will have executive coaches, and that's what I do. And all I'd suggest to them is that we go for a walking coaching session rather than sitting in an office. Um, I'd always give people that option, um, and then they can decide for themselves. But once you've gone for a a coaching on the move session, people never go back to sitting down because, you know, it ticks so many boxes for them. And, like, would companies ever approach you and say, okay... We need to maybe do a bit of work with some of our leaders, some of our management team. Yeah. Uh, would you go on sessions with them? Does that happen? Yeah. You know, I've done coaching on move sessions with leaders. And and how do you translate that into lecturing then? So, you know, I can understand when you're doing positive psychology and you're, you know, you're doing the coach and you're, you're, you're talking to somebody um, and you're listening. How does that go into a classroom full of people? How, like... I, I lecture part-time in UCC between yeah. September and December with a colleague, Martin. Basically, what we're teaching is coaching skills. Okay. So, you know, the active listening, the yeah. rapport building, that chemistry session that you have with somebody before they actually engage with you on a, on a coaching project. And who usually takes part in that then? Would, would it be people that want to be coaches themselves or is it people that want to, you know, just be better managers or... It's a real mix, actually. They they tend to be mature students, but it's a real mix uh, of maybe somebody that's in an organisation that wants to develop coaching skills, that, yeah. so that they bring those coaching skills internally to the organisation. Yeah. Then you've got people who are actually just wanted, you know, maybe a, you know, change of career, yeah. and actually want to come and get the masters to be to be able to actually yeah. um, set themselves up as a coach. Um, then you've got other people who just want to come on the coaching, the, the masters, because of their own personal development, and it's just for themselves. So it's there's a real mix of people actually who who come on. And when you say active listening, like, is there tips? Because obviously, you know, people are listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, so in one we have their, I suppose, mm-hmm. concentration today. Mm-hmm. They're listening to us, mm-hmm. but when they're in their own work environments or whatever, is there tips that you can give people mm-hmm. in terms of how to be better listener? Mm-hmm. Well. Unfortunately, Stephen, most people don't listen. Okay. So most people listen to talk. So by that I mean, are you listening or are you just waiting to talk? So if you think about conversations that you have with people, mm. I might say to you, so um, Stephen, I had a really, you know, it was a dreadful journey today to mm. work. Um, and you, you would listen to that and then give me your story. So, oh, you had a really bad journey to work. Let me tell you about my journey <laughs> yeah. to work. So. In that regard, you're not really interested in what I'm saying. Yeah. So if I was listening, I would say, oh, really? So tell me a little bit more about that. Be curious. Yeah. So we have this acronym um, which we use, which is WAIT. Why am I talking? So when you say that, are most people trying to give answers while the other person is talking? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> is that kind of what's Wait, happening? Well, with, with... I mean, I, so my husband, for example, and and a lot of women would say this about their husbands, yeah. okay, that they come home and they talk to their husbands and the, the husband wants to give them a solution to what they've just talked, you know, what they've said. And actually, they just want to be listened to. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, most of the time, if you think about your conversations, does the person listen and then ask another question? Mm. Are they really interested in what you've just said? Or do they want to share their experience or their story? You know, you talked about um, good managers. You know, good managers, good leaders listen. I was reading something recently where they were, you know, there was, I can't remember who it, was, who it was, but he said, you know, when I have my team meetings, actually what I do is I actually stay silent. When we're talking about a particular topic or project yeah. or issue, I actually say, I want to hear what you've got to say first. I need to listen to what you have to say rather than, me tell you what I have to say because once I've said what I've got to say then everybody tends to fall in and agree with the person 
Yeah, so it's a great skill to have if you can listen to people. Mm. So, and that that probably stems back to everything that you say about like even when we're going back to kids in school and stuff. Teachers don't listen to them sometimes. If the kids mm-hmm. have a problem. Mm-hmm. They try to think that they know the answer before instead of listening. Mm-hmm. The same in the business world mm-hmm. where you might have an employee that is struggling with something. They're telling you mm-hmm. and they find this a certain aspect of their job hard and, and you know, you're not listening. No. The person just wants to fix the solution, provide them with a the solution. Yeah. And actually, I suppose the best managers, the best leaders help the person find their own solution by just asking questions. And do you find that even sometimes people don't even listen to themselves. And what I mean by that is that's why coaching kind of works maybe in that you're you're taking all what they say in mm-hmm. and then you're giving them the key bits back. Mm-hmm. Whereas usually they're just rambling on in their own mind mm-hmm. and they don't really know what they're saying. Well, often it's funny you should say that because, the, you know, sometimes when I'm coaching somebody, they might say, I'm rambling. Yeah. Um, and I would, I'd always say to them, you're not rambling. What you're doing is actually you're articulating your thoughts. Yeah. And by me summarizing back what the person has just said, mm. they've said it out loud themselves and then they've heard it again mm. from me. And that really helps them to crystallize or give, give them clarity of thought. And when they hear it back a second time, they often think, gosh, did I just say that? Yeah. So it it is that ability to summarize back to the person so that they can hear what they've said out loud seems to be really helpful. But it's interesting, you know, you started in that whole kind of call center business. Mm -hmm. And of all the training I got over the years, I always felt that some of the customer service training that I got in my first week in the merchants group Mm -hmm. was probably the best training I ever Mm -hmm. had Mm -hmm. in terms of how to deal with somebody if they're angry. Those type of things, especially, you know, not treating fire with fire, all of those simple things that you think everyone should know. Mm-hmm. But yet people dealing with people in mm-hmm. businesses, especially service industry, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody has never given them that type of training. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, what you say there? Because if, if you think about what we're taught at school, yeah, we're taught to read, we're yeah. taught to write, but nobody ever teaches us to listen. No. And most people think they're good listeners. Mm. But most people, unfortunately, aren't. Good talkers, probably. <laughs> Especially in Cork. Well, think about it. You know, how many conversations do you have where actually, if given the opportunity, you know, the person that you're talking to, do they do the majority of talking or do you? Yeah. You know, we've got yeah. t- we've got two ears That's and right, one Jack. mouth, so yeah. we, d- we should actually be listening more than we're talking. I'd say this podcast is the rare example where I'm doing less of the talking, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. Though. And it, And it's how we build good relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's how we also destroy relationships mm. by not listening to the person that we're, we're close to or working with. Yeah. Um, and there's something called active constructive responding, which sounds a bit like a bit of a mouthful, but it's um, a lady by the name of Shelley Gable actually talks about it. And it's that whole thing of, you know, when somebody gives you a piece of good news mm. and, you know, you might tell me something and... Uh, if I don't actively, constructively respond to that good news, then I'm actually damaging the relationship. You, know, you might say, Julie, I've just started 24 stories. Yeah. If I actually say, Stephen, that's fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. Tell me a little bit more about that. About that. that is building that relationship. Whereas if I sort of do, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's not active, constructive responding. So it's, you know. And if we're anybody, all guilty of doing that at times, aren't we? Because you're bursting the person's bubble yeah. by not actually mm-hmm. being interested in what they've got to say. Should we write down notes? Like, say, for example, I'm, there's a lot of managers listen to this podcast. There's mm-hmm. a lot of business owners listen to this podcast and mm-hmm. they have employees come in. Should they write down things that their employees are saying to them or should they just totally be focused? Well, if I said to you, if you were talking to me and I was writing notes, how would that make you feel? Awkward, probably. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're writing notes when somebody's talking to you, you can't be listening to them. We yeah. cannot physically do two things at the same time. So we all talk about, is, wouldn't it be great if we can multitask? We can't multitask. Nobody can multitask. They say oh, women are great mm. multitaskers. I can't multitask. I, you can actually only do one thing at a time. Mm. So if I'm actually fully present in this conversation with you and I'm listening to you, I can't be writing notes at the same time. So that's on one side. But then in the positive side, how do you encourage people to be more positive? Or, or, or is there a way of, are, are people naturally positive? Well, I think what they say is it's, 50% genetics, yeah. 
10% environment and then 40% down to what we do ourselves. On a day-to-day basis. Our behavior. So, I mean, I'm not one of these people that, you know, everything has to be positive because, of of course, that's not life, is it? But it is about taking personal responsibility for your own happiness, if you like. Yeah. And to think about what you can do for yourself and that there isn't one size fits all. But there's, I mean, there's lots of science behind things like journaling and just at the end of the day, write down three good things that went well for you that day or three things, you know, where you've contributed. Then what you're doing is you're training your mind to focus on the good. So we all have what we call a negativity bias where we tend to focus on the negative. Yeah. So, if, for example, if I was to say something to you that was unkind, and I would never do that because I'm yeah. a kind person, yeah. that's likely to stick, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It sticks with you. Whereas if I, if I compliment you, we, you, tend, you tend to brush it off. You know, mm. when you say something to somebody, they go, oh, that's a very nice dress you're wearing. Oh, this old thing. So we, de- we tend to brush off compliments, but we tend to hold on to, to criticism. Why is that? Because we prefer to be modest. I, I suppose in today's world, it is about... Um, Training, again, training our mind to focus on the good. Yeah. And can you train people to be positive? Or, or is that something that they have to learn themselves? Well, again, it's like, it's, it's, it's a habit, isn't it? So we can decide at the end of the day, we want to write, write down three yeah. good things that worked well for me. Yeah. Um, I might find it difficult today, but yeah. tomorrow, because actually I'm training my attention to look for the good, mm. then I'll find it easier tomorrow and then easier the following day, because actually I'm now looking for the good. And because I'm looking for the good, I'm now finding it. So that's one way. Exercise has got, as we've already talked about, or movement, I like to say, because sometimes when you think about exercise, then that's a chore. Yeah. But simply going out and getting exercise, getting moving, up. walking, playing tennis, swimming, whatever it might be, mm. that increases uh, you know, our, our positive emotions. So it's about finding things that work for the person. Yeah. Rather than being told what to do. Nobody wants to be told what to no. do. No. And that whole area of people, you know, and and we've had a couple of guests on this podcast at this point that have talked about the power of networking. I'm guessing that's something that you're quite strong at because if you're good at listening, you're probably going to, like you're networking at your running events. But I think the very first time I met you, you were involved in a kind of a charity type organization. I think it was business in the community. That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's something that you've been quite passionate about, kind of getting involved in community efforts over the years. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to give back, if you like, but just talking about connecting. You probably know I'm I'm um, an associate of an organization in the UK called Catfinity. They're yeah. a world leader in strengths-based development. And they have a strengths-based assessment, which I use. Um, and one of my top strengths is connector. I love bringing people together, whether or not it's, you know, you're looking for a plumber or a job yes. or a babysitter or somewhere yeah. to, to, to live, somewhere to rent. I, I just get great joy of bringing people together. Is that because you've listened to stories over the years and then you're recalling, oh, yes, that person does that and this person does that and they would work well together. Yeah, is I, is I, that how it works? Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I just love doing it. And I suppose yeah. the thing about strengths is because you're good at something, because mm. you're good at something, doesn't mean to say other people are good at it. And mm. you sort of take it for granted. But I think what I have is a little database in my mind where if somebody says something to me, yeah. I'm listening to what they're saying and thinking. Yeah. I'm always thinking to myself, how can I help? But it's just something I naturally do. But I mean, not obviously, not, I get a kick from it and I get real pleasure from it, but not everybody does, obviously. But that whole thing of, you know, I, I don't know if you've come across somebody called Adam Grant. He's written a book called Give and Take. And I remember reading it think, because at the time I was thinking, you know, if you're, if you're giving to people, can you be successful? Yeah. And Adam Grant... And his podcast and his book is all about, of course, you can give and also be successful. And he talks about something in his book called The Five Minute Favor, which is if you hear something that, you know, if somebody needs something and it will only take you five minutes to help them, yeah. why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. And you can be successful and be the sort of person that gives um, as long as that's not, you know, at your detriment. So as long as you don't give, 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 give and not do anything for yourself. But you're probably building a very positive, I suppose, reputation for yourself at that point as well. So I'd imagine if you're doing nice things for people, it does come around and help you, you know, no matter what you're doing. You know, if you give to somebody and you don't expect it, you shouldn't expect anything in return. Yes. I mean, I suppose people buy from people, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And they, they buy from people that they like and they trust and, yeah. and that has integrity. Yeah. And that's the person I want to be. I mean, when I think about my own brand, 
I think about my values. Who am I as a person? I want to be authentic. I want to be myself. What's important to me? Um, and I try and live and work by those values. And even businesses and, and, and leaders probably should allow their employees, if not themselves, to be nice to their customers and to be nice to others as well and their suppliers or whatever because people become loyal if someone is doing good things for you. Of course. If you're kind, if you're giving to your customer, if you go that extra mile, yeah. that person's going to come and do, want to come back and actually do more business with you because actually you've, you've cared about them. Made them smile or you've given them, you know, maybe made their life easier all of a sudden. I always remember you gave me a book a couple of years ago. Um, I think Talk was, like Ted. And yeah. key moments, key takeaways. But I remember there was always one piece. In There was a guy, I think it was a hotel in um, Las Vegas. I think it was the Mirage Hotel. Uh-huh. And um, they told, they had, a, they had a session every morning where all the staff would come around. And they'd ask their staff, what was the one nice thing you did for, your, for a customer today? Yes. And they used to have a kind of like... a I think a reward or some sort of thing. Yes. And one day a guy says, well, yesterday he said um, there was a couple checked in. They came from Los Angeles and um, the husband had forgot his insulin mm. and the wife was very panicked, very mm. upset. Mm. And he says, don't worry. He says, where's your house? Mm. His brother lived in Los Angeles. Mm. Is there somebody near the house now mm. that they could get in? He got somebody to go there. He said, mm. you go down, have a meal. By the time you come back up, later on, he says, we'll have this sorted. Mm-hmm. 12 hours, he drove to meet the other guy mm-hmm. and came back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And he said, that started a whole movement in the hotel where they, where they all actually tried to outdo each other mm-hmm. in terms of doing nice things for people. Yeah. At no benefits to them, really. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting an extra pay rise or anything. It was just maybe something like a voucher for a meal or whatever. But it was this idea that they loved telling the mm-hmm. stories in the morning mm-hmm. of this is what we do. Well, they showed that they cared. Yeah. You know, that's a... A random act of kindness. Yeah. We talked earlier about, you know, what we can do to actually improve our own happiness, but act, and actually being kind to, mm. to somebody else. And it, and, and it can be small stuff, you know, it, it can be as simple as letting somebody out in the traffic. Yeah. You know, I have this thing that I sort of, I, I, I don't know, <laughs> I play a little game with myself in the morning if I'm driving. I let somebody out and I'll then see if anybody else does the same mm. thing. And if you look in the mirror, more often than not, the person yeah. behind has also done the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you give <laughs> yeah. to somebody... Habit, this, yeah. Yeah, because they've seen that. Yeah. They've seen it. And going back to, you know, leaders, leaders who show that they care, people want to work for those leaders. I love the quote, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And Noella, who was on your um, podcast recently, I yeah. remember her saying, actually, I care about... Uh, the people I work with. Yeah, yeah. And great leaders, as well as listening, yeah, yeah. they care. And you want to work for somebody who cares about you. And uh, in- interestingly enough, um, you know, we were talking about coaching on the move earlier. We did a piece of research with an organization in Cork, whereby um, managers had one-to-one meetings in the office, and they also had one-to-one meetings while walking. And one of the outcomes from that in terms of the feedback that we got was that the person who was meeting the manager felt that the manager cared for them more than they did when they were sitting in the office, which is interesting. interesting uh, but they felt obviously there was more of a connection whilst they were having that walking Would meeting. Would it be the case that it's less intimidating because they're not stuck inside in the room? I think so. And, so, and sometimes, you know, people don't want somebody to stay, you know, sort of look you in the eyes. Yeah. And obviously looking at somebody when you're, you're talking to them is important. But if you think about the best conversations you might have with your children, might be when they're sitting in the car next That's to you, true, because sure. actually they can talk freely and the parent isn't staring at them. Yeah. So that walking side by side, you're an ally, you're moving forward. You're also moving forward figuratively in terms of what you're trying to achieve. But you're at their side and and supporting them without that person feeling intimidated, mm. perhaps. Doesn't it all link back to psychology in many ways? Because I'm fascinated by humans and I'm fascinated by people. And I think, you know, for any any business to be successful, you need to understand the people you're dealing with. Of course. You know, you need to understand what goes on in their day. Yes. You know, and what makes them want to get up in the morning, what makes them come to your premises or what makes them buy your product or visit mm. your website or whatever. You, you, like... 
I think, you know, psychology should be probably taken more serious by so many different businesses. It isn't a one-size-fits-all, is it, in terms of management? It is about Mm. understanding the person and understanding what motivates them because what motivates you may not be the same as what motivates somebody else. And and ultimately, we have to understand Mm. where that internal motivation comes from. Yeah. What makes you get up out of bed? Yeah. Um, because ex- external motivation will only take us so far. Actually, you need to really help the person tap into their internal motivation. And that's the same for, you know, if you're getting criticised or, you know, in, in terms of, you know, if somebody comes in, they're not happy with something, you know, they're not happy with the product or whatever they're giving out. I've often said to staff over the years, you know, there could have been a lot of other things going on the same day. Mm. That might have just been the tipping point. Mm. You know, nobody reacts well to criticism. Yeah. Nobody. So there's a there's a guy called John Gottman. He's um, an American psychologist who has done a huge amount of research around relationships, mm-hmm. mainly in sort of marriage and partnerships. But the same is true in, in business. So basically what he could do is he could actually, within 15 minutes of observing couples, he could actually determine whether or not they'd stay married or mm-hmm. whether or not they'd end up in the divorce court. And what he established was that there were four blockers to communication. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So if you were exhibiting those behaviors in a relationship, and that could be a relationship in work or a relationship yeah. in ma- that relationship isn't going to end well. So if you're a manager and you're criticizing somebody, their natural response to that is to be defensive. Yeah. So um, the, the, the other thing he did, actually, John Gottman, when we're talking about those couples that stayed together, was couples that had a ratio of five to one positive to negative interactions where the couples were more likely to actually stay together. And that is also the same in in the workplace. So if you think about how your interactions in the workplace, how many positive interactions have you had with somebody as opposed to negative? Yeah. And it it doesn't have to be big stuff. It can be Mm. making somebody a cup of coffee or sending them a a nice email to say, thanks very much for that report you wrote. Yeah. So the most successful and productive teams are those that have those five to one positive to negative interactions. I'm guessing a lot of the big multinationals must have done a lot of research around this. It's probably why they give them so many things like, you know, free meals or, you know, free time, flexible time. Mm -hmm. They look at the kind of their employees and say, what do they need in their day? Mm -hmm. Forget about the money a second. Mm -hmm. What about the other stuff? Mm. You know, you talk about the big multinationals, the most, one of the most interesting pieces of research I've come across uh, was by Google. And they actually did a piece of research about what makes the the perfect team, if you like. And um, it isn't about gender. It isn't about friends meeting, you know, together. uh, What they established over a period of time was something they called psychological safety. So teams that come together and feel psychologically safe mm. perform at their best. And basically what that means is there's two two terms that they used. One is ostentatious listening, which sounds a bit of a mouthful, yeah. but it goes but it goes back to your point earlier when teams feel listened to and heard yeah. and they can express their points of view without somebody, you know, poo-pooing it. That's ostentatious listening. And the other factor that they determined was, it's called equality in conversation turn-taking. Okay. So basically that means if you've got a team of people, everybody in that team should have an equal amount of time to speak. So you know yourself when you worked in organizations, there's always somebody that always talks and everybody else sits and listens. Mm. Whereas if you're a leader, if you can actually enable your team, every every member of your team to actually speak, and I'd be given the same amount of time, then that will create psychological safety. I wonder, in that regard, so should you go around to each one of them, or does that put people on the spot? Does, do they panic? Well, I think it's about creating that as a culture, isn't it? If, is, if you are a manager and you say, part of my team meeting will be that everybody mm. has the opportunity to say what they think, mm. then maybe the first time the person might feel a little bit awkward. But actually, if that becomes the norm... They get used to it. They get used to it. Yeah, we used to do a session like that in Forta on a Monday and a Friday morning. And we'd have somebody from every part of of the park. Mm. And uh, I always thought thought it was brilliant because we used to do a standing up, 10 minutes, in and out, what's going on. And around. And and I suppose everyone had their say. And that's so important. And if you think about it, extroverts tend to be the people 
that take the floor, don't they, and say what yeah. they've got to say. Yeah. But that's not to say the extroverts have the best ideas. No. What about yeah. the introvert that's sitting there? And the so introvert an... is probably sometimes worried as well. And they're, they probably have brilliant stuff to say and they feel like it's not their time to say it. Mm-hmm. And But if they're asked, mm-hmm. they will. And if they're asked, they will. And if the rest of the team are supportive mm-hmm. and if they're encouraged to speak and they feel heard, then actually they're more likely to say what's on their mind. So it's just so important. Like all of these things are so important for businesses. I mean, it does link back to, you know, whether things will grow, whether mm. you're successful. Because at the moment, if you look, the biggest challenge facing so many organizations is probably keeping the staff that they mm. have mm-hmm. at the moment. Because yeah. people are looking for staff, so they're going to throw money in front of them. But if mm. you can create that culture. But, but it's not just about money, is it? I mean, no, people don't not. don't tend to leave just because of money. No. That is a factor. But I think it's more about whether or not they feel cared for by the, yeah. the person that works for them. Um, it's whether or not they're engaged in the work. It's it's whether or not they're able to play to their strengths. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're playing to your strengths, you're more likely to be engaged, happier in your work, yeah. uh, all of those good things. So it's, it, it, it is about understanding, I suppose, from an employer perspective what you need to do to keep, to motivate that person uh, and to retain that person. So Julie I always finish the podcast with two questions and now I know you won't like this because you don't like giving anyone advice you'd like to listen to people but I'd say these are tips so the first one is for a business and we've, we've spoke a lot about I suppose the idea of listening to them maybe that is a tip what one tip would you give a business to help them build their brand and, their, and building their brand could be growing that organization to become successful well as you know as you just said i never give tips but i i suppose it's about um really as a brand as a business deciding for yourself what your values are values um and living and working by those values Mm. because i think business is all about reputation Mm. and i think so much of business is word of mouth of and of course, yes, social media and advertising is, is really important. And you're, yeah. But it's also, I, I suppose, I found in, in particular in Ireland that people like to recommend somebody. Yeah. And if you, if you want a service, yeah. you'd often ask somebody else, who do you recommend? Yeah. So if you can build a brand that has a reputation for integrity and trust and honesty mm-hmm. and kindness, yeah. generally speaking, people want to, as we've talked about earlier, do business with that with type them. of business because it's important to them because mm. they're actually doing business with somebody that has similar values. So if I said to you then, what tip would you <clears> give <throat> an individual? There's people listening to this and maybe let's take somebody that's maybe thinking about a change, mm-hmm. a change of direction. Mm-hmm. We've, we've all gone through it. Mm-hmm. What, what, what piece of advice would you give them? Change it. Well, I suppose it's always about following your passion. Yeah. Taking small steps, yeah. asking yourself the question, you know, what's the smallest thing I could do that actually can help me move towards that yeah. change or that goal? Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, we, can, we can't be all things to all men. Yeah. Um, showing, asking for help is a sign of strength rather than weakness. Yeah. Especially if you're setting up your own business. Yeah. You can't be good at everything. Yeah. So it is about understanding for yourself what your strengths are and playing to those strengths. And understanding, well, if, if my weaknesses are business critical, for example, then who, who can I ask or who can I employ perhaps to yeah. help me with that side of the business? Mm-hmm. And take your time, I'd imagine. Well, I think the other thing is, you know, um, it's never easy, is it, setting up, setting up in, in business? And no. I think my husband often says, if, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. If it's what you want, then be prepared to actually come up. Come a, a, against obstacles and be prepared not to give up. It is about finding a way, as I said earlier, around that obstacle or under, or under it. Is it a case of preparing yourself for obstacles along the way and saying, yes, this will pass, I'll get over it? So, for example, the likes of COVID and things like that, I'm sure that has shaken a lot of people up over the last two years and with their business, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I think I think the key is that you have to be prepared to adapt. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it? Uh, Darwin said it isn't the strongest that survive, but those that are prepared to adapt. And I I often use an example of a friend of mine, actually, many years ago. uh, She took voluntary redundancy from um, an organization in the UK, and she was a a golfer. She loved golf. And in her mind, 
she wanted to set up a golfing event company. Okay. And that's what she did. Yeah. But she realized, actually, if she was going to be successful, mm. golf was too niche. Mm. So bigger than that. So now she actually has an events company, EMG Events. Whoa. Liz, she's a great friend of mine. And she does all events. So she does Cheltenham and she does Wimbledon yeah. and whatever the event is. Yeah. She's it. Yeah. But she didn't say to herself, I only, I only want to do golf. Yeah. She, you know, she didn't have a fixed mindset. She had a growth mindset, which is, okay, what do I need to do differently? What, how do I adapt um, to be able to be successful? Um, and I think, I think that's what she did. And, and I myself in, in COVID, you know, we weren't coaching, we weren't face-to-face training. Mm. But what we did was we, we actually contacted a number of organizations. So we have this masterclass of webinars that we can run for you, interaction se- interactive sessions, because we had to change. We had to adapt as a lot of people did during COVID. I think we all adapt. We, we, we all have, thankfully. Yeah. And like I let you in the secret, but I think this podcast has adapted since we began it because, yes. you know, we, we go by our listeners, we go by the people that come into yes. the studio. Yes. And marketing is a broad term. Yes. But there's so many other aspects in terms of developing business, uh-huh. building a brand. Yeah. And today, the whole idea of psychology, mm-hmm. listening, they're as vital as anything. Mm. But it's also what you're saying there. It's also about feedback, isn't it? Yeah. Asking for feedback. The best leaders ask for feedback yeah. and are happy to give feedback. Because if you, you know, feedback is a gift. Yeah. But if we're not prepared to take it on board and learn from it, we, don't, we shouldn't take it personally. But if somebody's prepared to give you feedback, then we need to listen to it and think, okay, what can I do differently to make this better? Well, I'm sure I'll get plenty of positive feedback from this episode. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, I think it'll get a lot of people thinking um, about how they approach things. And it's been fascinating. And, um, you know, looking forward to seeing where Coaching on the Move goes over the next couple of years. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest. 